So if you have your Bibles, uh, please open to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, near the back of your Bible. It's on page, if you're using one of the red chairback Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, grab one of those, uh, and you're welcome to keep it. Um, page uh, 1046, it's right after Colossians. Uh, it's one of the many epistles or letters that Paul wrote that is recorded in our Holy Scripture. Um, the church at Thessalonica, like many of the churches that were planted by Paul and Timothy and other helpers such as Silas, um, uh, you know, of course, they really benefited by having Paul there. But Paul didn't just start something, start a fire, and then just kind of walk away from it. He would always, you know, like a good father, want to make sure that he checks up on how his offspring are doing. He wanted to check in on these churches, and so he would get reports from the various churches, and he would write back to them. That's what so many of the epistles are. Um, while, uh, while you're finding that in the Scripture, I want to pose a question here to everyone. Think about, um, think about an accomplishment, either that you've had or that maybe one of your children or a family member or a close friend has done. Something you know, significant in their life. How did you feel when they accomplished something significant? So, if you're online, type in an example of how you might feel in a situation like that where someone you love has accomplished something significant. And any examples that you'd like to share? You're proud of, for example, what's the situation where you'd feel proud? Great example. Great example. Yep. You hear that, Matt? I'll be very proud of you when you graduate. Not before. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, uh, I'm sure I'll pay for that later, by the way. Um, great example. Any other emotions that you feel? Come on, guys. That is true. They might. And another emotion that I have to fully confess along the lines of that is, you know, imagine how you feel if you're an older couple or an older adult, how you felt when your kids finally moved out and were on their own. Kind of bittersweet, right? I mean, I hate to say it like that, especially with Matt sitting over here. Matt's my son. Um, uh, but... Yeah, it's, a, it's bittersweet because, yeah, you're proud of them and what they've accomplished, that they're spreading their wings. But, you know, there's also relief too, right? It's like, good, they finally, you know, the glide path, they've they finally taken off. Um, I mean, these are some of the emotions that we feel. Pride, very proud of someone, you know, when they get married. Love, a deep love. Uh, you know, you're very proud of someone, you know, uh, your daughter or your wife gives birth. What an amazing experience to a new child to come into the world. How proud you are. You know, if someone gets their first job, or a new job for that matter. Um, so many emotions are in play when people 
accomplish things, especially when they're people that we love. So think about this question. This is going to be the question I want you to ponder during the service today. Um, how can we encourage each other and our leaders in the church? How can we encourage others, especially our leaders in the church? Read with me as I start here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Good starting point here. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Pardon me, I'm going to put on my glasses. My eyes aren't as young as they used to be. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. How does Paul sound in this Scripture? If you could assign an emotion to him, what do you think that conveys? He's proud. He's also filled with joy. We remember before our God and Father, this is verse 3, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance. I'm proud of these things. How can we encourage our leaders in Christ? The first way that we can do it is by fully accepting the Gospel. Fully accepting the Gospel. And what I mean by that is, you know, look at this scripture that we read. The Thessalonians in verse 3 had labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope, and work produced by faith. Sorry. What does it mean to accept Jesus fully? Um. I liken it to, you've ever heard the expression, um, getting saved is like getting fire insurance from burning in hell. Well, some people, frankly, treat salvation and Jesus' promises to us of an eternal life as just that. They do just enough, they, they profess their faith, you know, which is glorious. You are saved from an everlasting hell and separation from God. But they don't really go anywhere after that. They don't really do much. You know, they may go to church even every Sunday or just come you know, a couple times a year, but they really haven't fully accepted what it means to be a follower of Christ. I kind of liken it to... and. Uh, I wish I would have had one of these at home. I would have brought it as a prop. Uh, imagine an old, scrunched-up, dry sponge. We've all seen them, right? Uh, around the house, probably. Um, imagine if you take a glass of water, and you take the sponge, and you just dip the corner in just for a second. Not much is going to happen to the sponge, right? It's still mostly crunchy. you got one little soggy corner. 
that's kind of what uh, accepting Christ, but not letting Him fully into your heart and into your life and into your actions looks like. You're not really changed. Fully accepting Christ is like dunking the sponge completely in the water. I'm, not, I'm really not making an immersion joke here. Uh, but dunking the sponge fully into the glass of water and pulling it out. And the sponge is not the same anymore. The crunch is gone. It's heavier. So its weight has changed. It's wet, obviously, now. You can even squeeze it and there's water coming out of it when there's nothing in it before. It's completely changed. So, why do I mention this? Fully accepting Christ is reflected in a change. A change not just within you, but a change that others can see as well. Just like you can look at a sponge and see, is it dry? Is it wet? It's the same way with people. Paul was very proud to see that the Thessalonians had been transformed when he was there on his initial visit. And that from the report he had heard, they are persisting in that faith. They are enduring. They are doing works. And they are laboring. How can we encourage our brothers and sisters and our leaders we can encourage them by fully accepting the Gospel. And what else? You know, it doesn't just stop with our acceptance of the Gospel. You know, for that sponge to get wet, all it had to do was just be immersed in the glass. People are a little more complex, would you say? Yeah. Um, although I've I've known some people that I thought were just mere sponges. Cue the SpongeBob joke. Um, the sponge changes. So what does that mean for us? We change when we accept Christ fully. When we let Jesus into our hearts, and we don't want to just pretend at being a believer, or we don't want to just dabble around the edges of being a believer. If we really believe Jesus Christ died for our sins, was resurrected on the third day, reigns in heaven, and that the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. If we really, really believe that, we can't help but be transformed. That will be reflected in our lives. There will be a visible transformation that takes place. How can we best encourage our leaders? We can live a transformed life. Transformation means that we are being changed. We are not the same person that we used to be. In so, maybe we are the same person in some ways. You know, probably, you know, my uh, my driving skill or my chess playing probably didn't change as a result of me being saved. But there are plenty of ways that my behavior does change as a result, not just of being saved, but continuing to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and letting that happen to me. Um, 
Think about a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. You know, it starts its life as a little egg laid somewhere, and then it hatches into a caterpillar that crawls around. And that, but that's not the end of the story. It goes into a chrysalis, so it's just kind of just sitting there doing seemingly nothing from the outside, and then it bursts forth as a butterfly. So the caterpillar or butterfly, whichever end you want to call it, its life is defined by transformation. Now let me flip it around. Um, any of you have pets at home that you struggle with fleas? Anyone? Anyone have a flea problem? I'm not going to sell you uh, pest control service. Well, anyway, when Andrew and I had first gotten married, we had adopted various kittens over the first several years. And in many of those cases, the poor babies were just infested with fleas. We had to get rid of the fleas, you know, before they could really uh, thrive. You know, a flea is not that different than a butterfly. They're both insects. They both have the same life cycle. They start as an egg. They turn into a, a larva, or you know, kind of like the caterpillar, but you know, little squirmy little things. You don't ever see it because it's in your carpet, it's in your bed, it's in your pillowcase. Uh, okay, weirding you out, but it's the truth. And then they pupate. They form this little cocoon, basically, and then eventually they spring forth as an adult flea, and the cycle continues. They're nasty little bloodsuckers. I hate fleas. Lord, why did you make fleas? And I know you had wisdom that you knew we needed fleas, but I don't like them. Um, but did you know one of the most common or a common method of flea control is a pill that you give your pets? Like for our cats, you give them this pill and the way it worked is it interrupts the life cycle. It stops them, the fleas, from egg to larva to pupa. It stops them from pupating, basically. They can't make a cocoon. And so if they can't make a cocoon, they can't go on to be an adult and you've broken the life cycle. And so if you just give this medicine to your cats, eventually the fleas in your house will die out after several weeks. If the flea doesn't transform, it dies. I think the same thing is true for us as followers of Christ. If we don't transform, What's Jesus going to say to us on Judgment Day? Is He going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or is He going to look at me and say, I never knew you. You were just a dabbler. You just dipped the corner. I, cer I certainly don't want to hear that. How can we encourage our leaders? We can encourage them by being fully transformed by the Holy Spirit. Let me show you here how the transformation had occurred in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our Gospel came to you not just with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. 
verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Do you have joy in suffering? I'll admit, I think some of you know this, many may not, but I was laid off from my longtime job in financial services last month after many, many years. Which is timely because many of you also know that I'm planning to become a minister and be a church planner. So it's, the timing's good. But let me tell you, when bills come due, and the money's not there, I'm not joyful. How can you be joyful? How can the Thessalonians be joyful under severe suffering? You know, okay, not being able to pay a bill, you know, or having to wait a week, yeah, that's irritating, but that's not severe suffering. You know, they're probably being dragged off and beaten and persecuted physically. How can you have joy? I know I can't. I bet you can't either. It's only through the Holy Spirit. It's only through that transformation happening. Now skip with me down to the end of verse 9 through uh, the end of this chapter. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. I'll, I'll come back to the part I skipped over here in a minute. Um, but the Thessalonians turned to God from idols. Idol worship was a big deal in the first century in the Greco-Roman world. Um, Ephesus was sort of the capital of uh, pagan idol worship. But you know, Thessalonica was not that far away. Um, very prevalent that there would be all kinds of stuff that I don't even want to talk about here. It's, it was so horrible and horrifying, uh, the rituals that they had. But believers of Christ and followers of Christ turned away from all of that. I mean, it would be like... Um, Maybe, you know, when you uh, were growing up and in high school, in your early life, you hung out with a certain group of friends. And then you turned away from them completely. Something changed your life so much that you gave up, at least in this case, the Thessalonians gave up idol worship. It would be like you giving up hanging out with your old friends. How would those friends react? Wait a minute, you've been hanging out with us, you know, <laughs> worshiping Dionysus, and now you're calling yourself a Christian? You idiot. And then the mob is going to come out with pitchforks and torches and stone him. You know, that's the sort of persecution that literally happened in the first century. It's not that far fetched that it could even happen today in the world. But um, something must have happened to them. I'm telling you, there was a transformation that happened. And Paul and Silas and Timothy, who co-authored this letter, were proud of them. 
just like you're proud of a son or a daughter that graduates from college or that accomplishes anything. They were proud of what the Thessalonians had accomplished. How can we encourage our leaders? I'm not done. If we've accepted Christ, allowed Him fully and to transform us, a surprising result is going to happen. Read with me in verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. I don't think the Thessalonian church was planning for that to happen, but they are being held up by Paul and apparently by lots of believers all through that area, you know, through the tri-state area. They're an example. And I want to tell you something. If you accept Jesus fully and you let Him work in your heart and transform your life, this is going to happen. It happened to the Thessalonians and it's going to happen to you. You will be held up as a role model. Now, that may not be what you signed up for when you started following Jesus. It certainly wasn't what I signed up for. And let me tell you, I've been a little uncomfortable at times when I tell people I'm going to be a preacher. You know, especially when I'm talking to people from you know, my old job that I've stayed in contact with, they know that I'm going to be a preacher, but it's an awkward conversation sometimes. You know, they really don't have a whole lot of questions for me. Um, like, what's your retirement plan? I don't have a retirement plan. I'm going to preach till I die. You know, that, that sort of answer. Um, I didn't plan for people to start thinking about me differently. And I'm sure... I don't want to put words in pastor's mouth, but if he were here and you were to ask him, when you decided to become a preacher, did people start treating you differently? Even if it wasn't intended, just subtly, unconsciously, people treat you differently. I don't know, I, I don't know how that's going <laughs> to play out for me in my life, but I can tell you, as believers, if you let Jesus fully transform your life, it's going to get uncomfortable. People are going to look at you and say, what's different about you? You may not, you know, you may be a little queasy or uncomfortable about it just like I am, but it's going to happen. And how do you think pastor is going to feel if he sees some of you, you know, hopefully all of you, but some of you starting to let Jesus transform your lives. Let me tell you, 
I'm talking about Pastor Nathan. So I don't know, Pastor, if you want to cover your ears, that's fine. Keep listening, that's fine. I don't care. Um, do you think Pastor is here for the money? No. Do you think Chelsea does worship for the money? Do you think Nate and Drayton are back there doing it for the money because they're not getting any money? <laughs> no. Do you think our children, the, uh, the leaders of our children, are doing that for fame and recognition? No. How can we encourage our leaders? We encourage our leaders by letting Jesus work in our lives and by growing up to be transformed and to become role models to carry on the cycle for the next generation. And Chelsea, I won't put words in your mouth, but wouldn't you agree that one of the best benefits of being worship leader is you get to see people's lives transform. And isn't that the most rewarding part of your job? Not the money, not the endless vacations, just kidding. You know, not VBS. Okay. Hey, let me mention that too. Think about all the VBS volunteers. Let me tell you, you've got to be a special kind of crazy to sign up for VBS. But we need you. So please, see Chelsea if you want to volunteer for VBS. How can we encourage our leaders? By being transformed. Be the wet sponge, please.